Well, hello, Thrive Church. I am so happy to have you with us today, whether you're with us in person or online. Welcome to Thrive Church. I'm Judah Pastor here at Thrive, and uh, we are going to be starting a new series next week. I'd like to invite you to. Uh, it's going to be a seven-part series, and it's going to be called I Am, and it's going to be talking about uh, these statements that Jesus made. He made seven I Am statements, these claims about him. Himself, and we're going to be taking a look at those in detail starting next week. So we'd like to encourage you uh, to come out for that new series, I Am, starts next week. And this week, that means that we're going to be concluding our series on deconstructed faith. Deconstructed faith is where people, it seems like in mass right now, are, are deconstructing their faith. And, and, and what they're doing is, is they're going through and saying, you know what, all these things I, I believed over the years, maybe I don't believe any longer. And so they're, they're deconstructing them. But the problem is, is they often deconstruct them without the objective to reconstruct them. And so they're in, uh, they end up uh, just kind of wandering aimlessly in life. You know, many people who walk away from faith, they do so because they have issues with the church, uh, or, or more specifically, a church, right? Like, like they, they, were, they were in a church at some point in time in life, and, and something happened, something that they didn't like, something they didn't agree with, and something happened, and so as a result of this hurt, or, or maybe they felt betrayed, they walk away. Maybe they felt like they were, they were misled. They were led, led to believe something that they now believe isn't true. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they felt rejected by people in the church or they felt unloved. Perhaps they felt overlooked. Maybe they felt like there was too many rules to follow. Who wants to follow all of these rules? Or, or maybe they felt like they were judged for their appearance or their upbringing or their lifestyle. So they, they deconstruct and walk away. They, they say, I don't like this church, so I'm going to walk away from Jesus. And all, unfortunately, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like they're, they're throwing away something of great value because they've been hurt and they walk away. And, and then kind of what are, has arisen is these quotes. Maybe you can relate to some of these things that people say. Maybe you've even said them yourself. Uh, I, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his followers, right? Like, like we say things like that, or, or, or I don't like organized religion, or all they want is your money. And, you know, and that, that's why I'm, I'm sta staying away. In fact, we're going to be talking about money uh, a little bit later, so just brace yourself now, okay? Um, maybe they also say, uh, I don't like church because it's full of hypocrites, or I just want to worship God in my own way. And so, so they come up with this, these reasons why they turn from their faith and they blame it on the church. Others feel like they were, they were let down because, because they were promised something that they never got. Somebody in church promised them something. Maybe it was a healing. They felt that they were promised a healing, but they never got it, so they turn and they walk away. Maybe they thought they were supposed to get a, a really hot spouse, and, uh, and they never met them yet, and so they feel a little bit betrayed, and they walk away. Maybe they thought they were going to find meaning and fulfillment, and they didn't get it, and now they're disillusioned, so they deconstruct their faith. They, they tear down their faith, and they walk away. They feel like church somehow... Let them down. 
in your notes if you're taking them. The church never lets you down, but people may. See, that, that's the reality of it. See, see, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is, is, is uh, what Jesus came to set up here on this earth. And although it won't let you down, it's made up of people who sometimes will let you down. The problem is that many of us are looking at church through the wrong lens. We're looking at, at the church through the wrong lens. We're looking at God's word through the wrong lens. I got some different lenses here. You know, we, we look at things through these different lenses. You put these on, and it makes everything kind of dark, right? It's like, like, you know, you ever hear about people who, who are just wearing rose-colored glasses, right? It's the it's kind of lenses that they're looking at. And maybe whenever I look at church, I, I look at it through these kind of lenses, or, or maybe I look through these kind of lenses here. Maybe these look a little bit brighter. I'm like, okay, wow, this is, this is different. You know, I'm seeing things differently. See, ultimately, we need to look at God's Word. We need to look at church. We need to look at these things clearly, with clear lenses, so we can see clearly. But many of us, we look at it through these wrong lenses, and we tend to focus on ourselves, thinking that we're the hero of the story. We're thinking that, that the world... And God's word all revolves around us. Like, I'm the hero, and God is simply a supporting character in the story of my life. And, and, and so many uh, people were, were looking at things with these wrong lenses. We're reading scripture as if it's all about me and failing to realize that it's not about me, it's all about God. So many Christians are, are frustrated and discouraged and become complacent and bored and they walk away because really there's no excitement when it's all about me. See, deep inside, if we're honest, deep inside each and every one of us, we want to belong to something that is bigger than ourselves. We want to belong to a cause. We want to belong to something and in many ways, it seems like in our country, politics has actually taken the place of religion. And people worship at the feet of Washington, D.C. They worship these religious things. And they say, I don't care about what your other views are as long as you vote the same way that I do. And it becomes a substitute for church. There may be other clubs and, and organizations and causes that I want to belong to this thing. And I, and I crave this belonging. It's a substitute for what God has put inside of us, this craving to belong to something bigger, to craving to belong to a community. In your notes, if you're taking them, God wants you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And if we're honest, that's what we want too. Like, we don't want it just to be all about me, myself, and I. I want to I belong to something that's bigger. I want to accomplish something greater than I could just do on my own. And this is why... Many people, they turn to all kinds of things. But I'm not talking about, about organized religion. People say, I don't like organized religion because organized religion is really more about me often than it is about God. It's more about me, me, me. What I want, not what God wants. So we're going to look in, in Matthew 16, 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? He said, who, who do people say I am? He comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a city around 100 miles away from Jerusalem. So Jesus and his 12 disciples, they were on their final trip. 
They were on their final trip before Jesus would be betrayed and crucified, and they go way out of their way, 100 miles away. That's like walking from here to New York City, okay? So they're walking this far. They come to Caesarea Philippi. It was ruled by Philip II, and it was named to honor Augustus Caesar. That's where the Caesarea is honoring Caesar. Philippi was denoting that Philip was the ruler there at the time, and it was known for hundreds and thousands of years for worshiping false gods. That's what this place was known for. In fact, if you look up pictures of Caesarea Philippi, you'll see the landscape. There's all these temples that were there, and there's a cave in the mountain that was there. And this cave, I think we might have a picture of it somewhere. This cave actually is where water used to gush out of the cave. Now, there was an earthquake, and it shifted that, and it blocked the cave. Now it comes from another part. But there's this cave in the background. And there was all these temples, and they would, they would worship the god of Baal. They would worship the god of, of Pan, who was half goat and half man. And, and he was a, a fertility god. There was five different temples in this location right there. There was all these explicit sexual um, uh, uh, carvings and sculptures all around this area. And it was a gathering place. People would come from all over the world. People would take their children and they would throw them into the, to the mouth of this river and let them drown, hoping to appease this God so that their crops would be plentiful. This was known at the time as the gate to the underworld, the gate to Hades. It was like the entrance to hell, right? Like all of these pagan uh, temples were there and there was this, this, this big hole and they said, if you go in there, you're going to Hades. And all the good Jews would never go to a place like this. They would stay far. It was full of graven images. It was full of perversion. It was full of all these, these promiscuous activities were there. The Jews would never go. And, and Jesus is like, let's go on a field trip, guys. <laughs> and he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. And here they are. And they must have been looking at each other like, what are we doing? Like, I hope nobody sees us here. Like, like this was not a Jewish community. There wasn't a synagogue there. It was all worshiping false ungodly uh, gods. And so they're there, and he asks them, and they, you see all these people, they're worshiping, they're doing all these crude things. He says, who do people say that I am? And they reply in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, okay, that's great, but, but what about you? Who do you say I am? This is a question that you and I still need to answer thousands of years later. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a, a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a radical, a revolutionary? Is he a wise thinker? Or is he the Lord, the King of Kings? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is the first time any of the disciples really ventured to guess that he was, in fact, the Messiah. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying, Simon, you are exactly right. And God gave you that revelation because you're clearly not smart enough to figure that out on your own. And, and, and so, so here's Peter. And he's, he's venturing a guess. I, I, think, I think you're the Messiah. He said, yeah, God showed you that. God showed that to you. 
This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And he goes on in verse 18, and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Again, if we saw that picture, there's this massive rock, and this visual experience, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Imagine being in this situation where all these gods are being worshipped, and there's this human sacrifice, and there's all these horrible things depicted all around, and he said, I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, the gates of the underworld will not overcome it. Now, you got to say this, though. This is a bad translation of the Greek text, and, and it's very important to understand that. It's a bad translation. Uh, the, th- this word church that's used there is what we would call a substitution, not a translation. A substitution, not a translation. A substitution is like when you're cooking something and you don't have all the proper ingredients, so, so you don't even have anything close, so, so you're going to substitute it for something else. It calls for a cup of sugar, and instead you're going to use a cup of salt. I don't know. It, it, this is a substitution, not a translation. The word church is taken from an old German word, and the word uh, the church in German meant a building that was set apart as sacred. And we can relate to that. Say, oh, look at the beautiful church building. Look at the church. Oh, there's the church. We're going to go to church, right? A building set apart as sacred. Buildings for public worship. Buildings where, where clergy may reside. But that isn't what Jesus said. He didn't say that he was coming to build a building. He said, I will build, the Greek word here, I will build my ecclesia. Ecclesia, it's not an English word, it's a Greek word. And what it means in your notes, if you're taking them, is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly or a congregation. This is not a temple that he's referring to. This is not a synagogue. You know, he could have said, I will build a temple and the gates of Hades will not prevail. I could build a synagogue. That would have been a very common, familiar term, but he said, I will build an ecclesia, I will build an assembly, a congregation, a gathering, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, church, when we say the word church, it doesn't mean a building. Many people get this mistaken. I see this online all the time. People get this idea that that church is some, some building, it's some structure, but it's not. It has nothing to do. Jesus was not interested in architecture. He wasn't interested in building any of these things. Instead, he was looking to build a gathering, but instead of a gathering, we get a a building, a place. In your notes, if you're taking them, Jesus came to build a, a congregation, not a cathedral. He came to build a congregation. I have friends who who have churches out in the middle of pastures under trees in India. I have friends in 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 uh, in, in, uh Liberia, who have uh, churches out uh, under other trees, and they're worshiping God. It has nothing to do with a building. But yet, this word hangs us up sometimes. And in the 1500s, William Tyndale translated the Bible into English. And when he translated this verse, he used the word congregation. Jesus saying, I will build my congregation, and the gates of hell will not overcome. It will not prevail against it. Use the word congregation. There was a problem, though. And the problem, unfortunately, came in that time 
from the Roman Catholic Church. The church disapproved of his youth congregation because they felt that it implied that anyone could gather together out in a field and they could worship God. And that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted them to come together to a centralized church location. So his Bible was outlawed. He was arrested as a heretic and he was burned at the stake. This word, even in our most modern translations, it's used 115 times, and all but three times it uses the word church instead of assembly or gathering. King James, back in the 1600s, commissioned a Bible, which we know as now the King James Version Bible. He commissioned the Bible, and he said, I want you to translate it as accurately as you possibly can. But he put one rule and one contingency on their translation. He said, and I quote, the word church must not be translated congregation because they felt that it undermined the state-run church of the day. So he said, don't call it a congregation because people will get crazy ideas. They'll think that they can just worship God on their own, that they don't need us anymore. So here, back to our story, we see Jesus and his disciples out in the middle of nowhere at this pagan ritualistic site. They're outlaws. They're afraid of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to build a gathering. That probably wasn't what they were hoping for. He said, I'm going to build a gathering. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now think about that term. This is an offensive term. See, what is the purpose of a gate? A gate of a city would close, and the purpose was to keep the bad people, the enemies, out. So the gates would close. They would have guards there watching the gates. It was a weak, a vulnerable part, but they would guard it heavily so that the, their enemies could not get in. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to build a gathering, and the gates of hell don't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance. We're going to go in. We're going to see the sick healed. We're going to go see the addicted recovered. We're going to go, and we're going to set the captives free. The gates of hell don't stand a chance. So Jesus, as he's getting ready, after he's been crucified, he comes to life again. Now he's leaving some parting words with his closest friends. With a legacy, you, you, you like to think of, of your last words. What do I want to be known for? What was my life? What did it all add up to? And, and the last words are important. So, so here's some of Jesus' very last words in Matthew Chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples. Underline that word, disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, hold on a second. Isn't that kind of a cocky thing to say? Right? Like, imagine if I said, hey, guys, I have all power in heaven and on earth. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, like, you're, you're nuts. You're a nut job. You're a heretic. Jesus said, I have been given all power all authority on heaven and on earth. And so now he's getting ready to tell them what he, what he wants them to do. And they're leaning in, like, what's he going to tell us? What's he going to tell us? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them 
to obey the commands I've given you. This is what we would call the Great Commission. Jesus is, is giving them this commission. He's giving them this mission should they choose to accept it. And I believe that's the same mission that he's given each one of us. Each one of us. And the disciples, they began to preach with boldness. Those who were once cowardly now were speaking with boldness and a gathering began to grow. Thousands of people began to put their faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder if they ever imagined how the gathering would grow. I wonder if they ever wondered, you know what, is this thing going to really last? Is it going to really catch on? Like, we, we're being persecuted. We're going through all these crazy things. Will it outlast the powers of the day? Will it outlast the Roman Empire? Will it outlast the persecutions of Nero? And though they were going through persecution, this gathering, this early church began to grow. And even today, it continues to grow. Even though Christians all around the world are still suffering persecution. You may not realize this because we all live in a privileged country, a country that allows us the freedom to worship God freely, but there's approximately 340 million people at this very moment who are living in danger, who are living in fear of imprisonment and putting uh, torture and death. Every single year, or the, this past year, this past year, 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. Christians are the number one persecuted group of people in the world, unequivocally. They're the number one persecuted, the number one put to death. 4,488 4, churches were attacked, many of them burned and destroyed. 4,277 Christians were arrested in prison without any trial. And these are only the ones that we have records of. But the church is growing. The church is advancing. I want to do something bold. I said I'm going to talk about money. I don't know. I've been going back and forth. Like, like how, what can we do? Here's what we're going to do, okay? I would encourage you to give, to give. And what we're going to do this week, okay, whatever money comes in this week, we're going to take it all, and we're going to give it to persecuted countries to further the gospel, okay? So whatever you give, whatever you give to Thrive this week, we're going to take all that in a lump sum. We're going to give it to these people who are going through persecution. And we're not going to just do it because, because oh, we want to take care of them. We want God's word to spread even further in their countries, even further in these persecuted countries. North Korea, number one most dangerous country for a person of faith to live. And, 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 and there's China and India and all these other, Syria, all these countries where it's so dangerous we're going to send resources to them because we want to see God's gathering grow. See, this is not cause for fear. This is cause for, for boldness because Jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail. The problem for many, though, is in your notes. For many, the Great Commission has become the great omission. Like, oh, that, that's, that's the job of, of the professionals. That's the job of the pastors. That's the job of the, the people who are leading ministries. That's their job. No, remember, we just underlined that word in, in Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, then your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to make disciples of other people, to invite them to share the hope that we have been given so freely. In Matthew eleven twelve. 12, 
It says, Jesus is speaking, says, from the time of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been seizing it. Are we forceful men and women? Are we saying, you know what? I am going to help to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to move forward because I believe in this gathering. No, I don't maybe believe in organized religion so much, but we are called to be of one heart and one mind, organized together as the body of Christ, the gathering, the ecclesia, moving forward this kingdom. It says that it's been forcefully advancing. Forceful people have been seizing it. See, the kingdom of God is advancing. So don't give in. Don't give up. Don't give out. Jesus didn't call us to be sleepy people. He uses people who are willing to move, who are forceful, who are not willing to settle for second best. You may say to yourself, but I'm only one person. What can one person do? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not talented enough. Failed too many times. You know, stop thinking about how small you are and start thinking about how big God is and what he has called us to do. See, in your notes, our job is to work to advance his kingdom. That's why in the Lord's Prayer that we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can someone who's far from God call on God if they don't believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never even heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are your feet? <laughs> like, like some of you are like, yeah, I got pretty beautiful feet. You know, you do the whole like pedicure thing and you're like, yeah, my feet are kind of cute. And someone was like, like, we're keeping those things hidden, right? It's like, like they, they don't look so good. They got some ingrown toenails, got some, some yellow fungus going on, some, some, some bunions, some, some kind of weird things. And we're like, yeah, I, I don't want to show off my feet. God says your feet are beautiful if you use them to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around you. So how beautiful are your feet? See, God is sending us. He's sending us out into the world. In your notes, we are not only saved by Jesus, we are also sent to do his good work. See, many of us, we focus on the fact that we're saved, and we forget about the fact that we're sent as well. See, the gospel is not just for us. It's for the world. And we live in a jacked-up world. We live in a world where right is called wrong and wrong is called right. We, 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 we live in a world where people worship in the temple of politics. We live in a world where people sacrifice unborn children on the altar of self-centeredness. Just like the, 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 they would sacrifice children back then, we see that people have no respect for what God has created. How will people here, how will people in your neighborhood here, how will people at your work here, about the good news. How will people in your school, how will they know unless you go? How will they know unless you're willing to invite them to come? Unless you're willing to tell them the story of what God has done in your life? Unless you're willing to t serve them? Unless you're willing to tell them, you know what? I made some mistakes too, but God has forgiven me, and he's willing to forgive you as well. Let us not bow to these false gods, but let us realize that Jesus he is the Son of God, and he's building a gathering, and the gates of hell don't stand a chance. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it 
says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Look at this last line. Underline this. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. God has given you this task. God has given me this task of reconciling, introducing people to the good news of Jesus Christ, to God, to the Messiah. We are to be messengers of the good news, not caving to the lies of this world. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are called to be representatives of his kingdom here on this earth. We are called to be disciples and to make disciples of other people. And nothing can stop this gathering. Nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ. And you have been invited to be a part of God's activity here on this earth. And we are standing, even this day, we are standing at the gates of hell, and it will not win. It will not prevail. It will not. See, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And that should be our mission as well. As you know, you are God's plan to reach the world. Look around for a second. You're like, what? That's all he's got? Yep, that's all he's got. Man, couldn't you have done something better? Yeah, yeah, that's what we think. But you are God's plan to reach the world, and there is no plan B. So it's time for us as men and women and children who are following Jesus Christ to rise up, to take a stand, and Jesus is handing over the mission of the church to you. And God will accomplish his mission here on this earth, and he wants you to be involved with it. And the question I have for you is, will you accept his call. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I know for many of us this is hard to hear because we like to live a complacent Christian life. But you've called us to more. You've called us to be men and women who advance your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you are building a gathering, a congregation, a group of people united in heart and soul. We put our differences aside so that we can achieve your purpose here. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, he's inviting you into his family right now. Does anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved? Don't let another day go by. Won't you call on his name now? It says if you call on his name and you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. Won't you call on his name? Jesus, you are my Lord. I stop worshiping at the altar of myself and I worship at the feet of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us of our self-centered ways. Forgive us for ignoring your call to go. Forgive us for being asleep when you've called us to be awake. Forgive us for not caring about the people around us. So, Lord, awake in us. Awake in us 
Restore in us the joy of our salvation. Renew a right spirit within us, Lord, so then we can teach sinners your way and they can be converted. Lord, let us be people who advance your kingdom. Let us be the first over the front lines. Lord, whatever you're doing in this area, we want to be a part of it. We say, yes, Lord, use us. Use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.